This is Connected Nation, a podcast focused on all things broadband. From closing the digital divide to improving your internet speeds, we talk technology topics that impact all of us, our families, and our communities. On today's podcast, we talk with Heather Gate, the Director of Digital Inclusion for Connected Nation. We discuss how digital inclusion is impacting millions of children across the country, what's being done at the federal level to help more families, and why including everyone in a digital world is a win-win for us all. I'm Jessica Denson, and you're listening to Connected Nation. I'm joined today by Heather Gate, Director of Digital Inclusion for Connected Nation. Heather is responsible for strategy development and implementation of programs that impact digital inclusion for all people in all places. Heather also serves on the Federal Communications Commission's Advisory Committee on Diversity and Digital Empowerment. Welcome, Heather. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you very much for having me. We are glad to have you today. Uh, Sounds like you're in a bunker. Are you sequestered as well? I am sequestered and I'm also homeschooling. I just want to say kudos to all the teachers that work really hard to keep our kids engaged (laughs) every day from eight to three. So this has been very eye-opening. Yeah, I saw one meme that that said, any teacher, I want to give you $11 billion for all the work <laughs> you've done after this. Yes, they are. They're definitely. And you can imagine um, having to continue to work with students remotely. That adds to the challenge of trying to keep kids um, working and delivering um, homework, especially I know with my, my daughter's school, the teachers have to submit schoolwork by nine in the morning. And then the kids have until the next day to uh, submit their assignments. Well, so today they sent us an email as a kind of update. And the email basically said, hey, your kids are not really submitting their things on time. That's that has got to be a challenge, an added challenge, because not only is it just um, that you're dealing with working from home, but now you have a child there that you have to make sure is um, taken care of. Yes. But the one thing and this is relevant to our discussion for today, one thing they did point out in the email was that, you know, um, if you can get the homework done by Friday, we'd appreciate it. If you have challenges such as. Uh, internet access and lack of devices, please let us know um, so we can um, intervene and and possibly help. So I was glad to see that they're very mindful of the fact that some of that homework may not be submitted on time because of connectivity challenges and device challenges. And my daughter did notify me too that their applications are probably because there's a lot of students using them it's very hard to submit homework. Sometimes she has to submit it two or three times before it goes through. So she's getting an error when she tries to yes. submit. Yes. So, well, let's talk about that then. Let's let me let me throw out some numbers and then let's let's talk about the what's happening with kids across the country right now. Um, according to Connect Nation on our stats, um, about eighteen point three million Americans lack broadband access, and broadband access is access to high-speed internet. Broadband and high-speed internet are interchangeable terms. Um, So 18.3 million Americans lack that access. 45% of those are low-income families, and 22% are in rural areas. Um, 
In addition, another separate number, which is relevant to what you're talking about, is the 12 million school-aged children who don't have adequate access. And that's what's been led to be called the homework gap. And um, our CEO, Tom Faree, has now labeled that as this is going into the school day gap. Um, can you discuss and share those 12 million school-aged children, what we mean when we say that there is um, a lack of adequate internet access for those kids? Yeah, I think the challenge, uh, and I, I think you brought up some very uh, good statistics. The challenge for, um, as you know, across the country, schools had been trying to work on one-to-one digital um, um, initiatives where children get devices that they can take home and, and extend the school day, so to say, because then they can continue to learn in a way that's relevant in this age of technology. But one of the biggest barriers for schools is that the lack of connectivity at home. And so, um, and so schools, this becomes a barrier for schools enable to, when they try to um, advance their programs, because, you know, you're sort of thinking this way, hey, teachers should be able to give homework that, that requires a child to spend an hour or two on the internet. But if 30 to 40 percent of your kids have no access to internet at home, then it, it, it becomes an issue of equity um, when kids can't do their homework in, a, in the same way. And so these issues are actually amplified uh, in times such as today with this pandemic, as schools are forced to hastily um, think of strategies to keep children um, working while at home. Um, and so some schools are really have been forced to send home kids with paper driven curriculum. And so you can imagine um, the fact that these kids have these materials to work at home with absolutely no way for a teacher to be able to engage with them because they don't have any Internet service at home. And so in those situations, the opportunity for kids to continue learning at home are broken and is amplified in households where children are um, in in low-income households where they cannot afford to have broadband or don't have enough devices or don't have any devices at all in that household. You've done some work. You, you, you led a program a a few years back with the Bill and Gates foundation that worked with libraries to help connect them. But what we're seeing, and that's where a lot of these groups were going or a lot of these families that were left out. But with this particular issue with the coronavirus response where those libraries are closed, um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of libraries to these families and um, why that's just amplifying this issue? Yeah. Libraries have, and when we, um, by the way, we worked with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to uh, host summits across libraries that were in areas where they had very limited to no um, access to broadband. Um, and so the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation were bringing those libraries together to uh, facilitate a discussion on how those libraries could get connected and be sustainable after that. And um, at that time, the Bill and Melinda Gates, too, were um, awarding grants to those libraries so that they could um, improve their broadband networks. Um, But libraries have really been leaders in communities across this country 
as far as being the place that communities, particularly low-income communities and vulnerable communities, the source of support as far as connectivity is concerned. Um, Libraries have provided a place where people can go to to access computers. Not only that, they also provide training. They also act as (laughs) the, the entity that provides, not only do they, you know, provide digital literacy training, but they also become the support system that helps people with job applications, that helps those people in those very practical ways that people want to use a computer. Because a lot of times people walk into the library because a third-party entity has told them that in order for you, for example, to apply for a job with us, you need to fill the online application. And what do they do? They go to the library And because they don't have the skills, who do they ask? A library staff member to walk them through that application. So libraries have really been functioning in many different ways as a support system, not only because they provide the venue, they provide the computers, they also really act like tech support and the assistance fulfilling job applications and everything else that most of us don't appreciate until we walk into that library. Um, um, so so they, they continue to play that important role. And they've also become creative. For example, some libraries have started programs where they allow people to borrow hotspots. Because, you see, one of the challenges with libraries, particularly with the homework gap, is that they can only allow you to be on the computer for so long, right? If you're a student that's writing a research paper, you need hours and hours and and days sometimes to work on your paper. Well, if the local library has an hour time limitation in order to accommodate many people, then that becomes more of a challenge. And so in some communities, they actually have hotspot loan programs where you can actually take the hotspot home with you and have access to service for an extended period of time, which has been a lifesaver for students, particularly high school students that have a lot of work to do. Um, let's let's take a little step back and talk about the definition of digital inclusion. Although you often, I've often heard you say, really, it's digital exclusion. Can you discuss what that really means? Explain it to someone who may not understand and who may have access to all the devices and it's kind of unheard of that, oh, well, they they can't get that person can't get the internet. Explain to us what digital inclusion and digital exclusion is. So digital inclusion really refers to the activities necessary to ensure that all people and all communities have access to the internet and the resources that the internet comes with it. And the reason why that's important is that it becomes it, it, it provides them access to um, resources that can help to improve quality of life and also can provide opportun- economic opportunities. And so, um, so as far as digital inclusion, we, when we talk about digital inclusion, there's three very important things that we, we focus on. One of them is access. And when we talk about access, we're, we're talking about does the person or the community have access to the actual infrastructure? Like, uh, is there 
infrastructure in the community that if a person could afford to have internet, they can call somebody and become connected. So that's access. But access also does not only refer to access to infrastructure. It, it also refers to access to devices. And then adoption means, when we talk about adoption, we mean we were talking about the fact that you may have access to infrastructure, but do you have the skills to adapt? Um, do you have the, can you afford the internet? And then use really refers to um, meaningful adoption. And by that, I mean, are you able to use tools and applications that are online to find a job or to advance the economy in one way or the other? And so digital exclusion comes about when people don't have one or more of those, um, don't have access to one or more of those three essential tools. Um, it means that once they don't have that access, then they're, they're not fully participating in our economy that requires you to, um, to, to go to the internet, whether it's uh, accessing support services, whether it's interacting with your bank, or whether it's socializing and interacting with family and friends. What are... Um... I know that you're. I, I did mention in our in our welcome that you are on the FCC committee's um, advisory committee on diversity and digital empowerment. Can you discuss some of what has been done through that committee to help more people, or what are some of the goals of that committee? Because it is at the federal level, so it's dealing with the national issue. So the Advisory Committee on Diversity and Digital Empowerment was tasked by Chairman Pai to offer recommendations to the, to the FCC on how um, we can help disadvantaged communities um, adopt technologies. And so what that committee has done is really, um, we, are, we were in the previous Basically, right now we have the second um, advisory group. The first advisory group, which I participated in, we were divided into three subgroups. And the subgroups were the uh, broadcasting um, subgroup. And they dealt with issues related to broadcasting, um, uh, particularly for, for minorities and disadvantaged groups. The second committee, a committee de- dealt with uh, diversity in tech. And what they did was they reached out to um, to tech companies and sat down with them uh, in, in confidential interviews to talk about uh, the challenges with diversity in the tech industry and how um, the committee could help them to advance diversity in the tech sector. And then the third committee, which I was a chairman, uh, the chairperson I chaired was the digital empowerment and inclusion uh, uh, subcommittee. And that working group dealt directly with issues, the issues that we're talking about today. Uh, We divided our working group into three subgroups and that was the adoption subgroup. The adoption subgroup really looked at issues related to infrastructure. And so some of the issues that they discussed and made recommendations on were related to um, redlining and um, overbuilding, given that the FCC and other uh, federal agencies have been uh, deploying funds 
for um, deployment of, of infrastructure in underserved areas, particularly in rural areas. And then um, the adoption group made a recommendation that um, the committee needed to facilitate a workshop around um, the definition of digital inclusion, because one of the things that I, I didn't mention at the beginning of this discussion is that digital inclusion is not static. It's not just an issue of have and have nots. It's a very complicated issue that tends to change with time. For example, when you look at communities uh, in minority communities, one of the one of the things that's happened in minority communities is a high level of adoption of mobile devices. And just so, and so when you look at those communities, you talk about um, the fact that there is a higher level of of adoption of internet. But then when you look at those households, they may not necessarily have broadband at home. And so that means that there's, there may not be a full computer in that household. And um, are there barriers that come with not having a full device that allows a child to fully type a paper versus trying to type a paper on a mobile device? And so the issue of the digital divide is really not a binary issue of have versus have nots. It's very complicated, right? Because then you're looking at people with mobile devices so um, how do you define that type of digital divide? Because they have a mobile device, they can get online, but are you fully able to be employed on a mobile device or do the more advanced capabilities? So it's a case of kind of trying to navigate the modern world with one hand tied behind your back. Exactly. It's, it's really that. Digital divide is really not a binary issue. It's not an issue of have versus have nots because um, there's layers to it. There's a lot of complicated, as, as technology evolves, it becomes more and more complex. For example, when you study a lot of minority communities, you find a high level of adoption of mobile devices. And yet when you study the same communities, you find low level of broadband in the household, which means that those people are actually accessing the internet using their mobile devices, but they don't necessarily have a computer in the household. And as you know, that means that they're not able to get a teleworking job using a mobile device. They're not, uh, kids are not able to write an extended paper on a mobile device. And so um, as we work through solutions and way of, ways of, of dealing with the digital divide, we have to advance and change strategies to adopt to where technology is. Um, and so from, and the evolution is very fast and furious because I remember when I first started this working for Connected Nation, we were still trying to explain to people what broadband was and why they needed it. And now we don't have to explain to people, they know what broadband is, they know what they needed. Sometimes the challenge is that it's just not there in their communities or they can't afford it, or they have some other barriers to broadband adoption. 
I know this is a huge issue and there's no one uh, solution that there is a combination of, of uh, things that must happen from federal, state to local level. But what are some things that we can do in our own communities to address some of this or help some of these people that are being left out, especially given the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in now? I think from an individual from an individual um, basis. And for some of us, we live and breathe this thing. So it's easy for us to see it and understand it. I think one of the things that's happened with the, the pandemic is that people are more aware of this challenge and this issue. So in your community, um, it's important to become an advocate for your own community um, because these challenges differ from community to community. If you're in a more rural community, then maybe the challenge for you is that you don't even have access to broadband. And so uh, work with the local leaders, work with the local schools and uh, find out if your community has a technology plan. If not, then work to advocate for your community to make sure that there's a technology plan that really provides incentives for people to come and invest in that community or uh, brings awareness to the needs of that community. So that's what people can do on an individual basis is to really um, look into your own community and and see what those challenges are uh, and become your community advocates. And we've seen in the work that we do with communities that the communities that become the most successful are the communities that have champions and uh, leadership that really um, speaks for that community and helps through the planning process that would lead to um, interventions coming into that community. So it's really just know your community and um, make sure that you're speaking to your leaders so that they can do their job because with broadband, everybody wins community. It's not only that the household wins, it's that when you have an empowered workforce, that's attractive to employers. When you have an empowered school system, students succeed more. They have the skills that they need to succeed in this world. And when you have an empowered healthcare system, you can have telehealth that provides services to seniors and all the other vulnerable population at a at a economic and save costs and you can save costs. And so I I just feel that we all have to play our part in this. All right. Well, thank you, Heather, for taking time to discuss this important issue with us. We appreciate you. Thank you so much, Jessica. Have a wonderful day. You can follow Connected Nation on Facebook and on Twitter at Connected Nation. You can also find more information about digital inclusion and how you can help by clicking on Join the Fight on that website. Thanks for listening to Connected Nation. I'm Jessica Denson. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on ConnectedNation.org or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us next week when we talk about teleworking during this difficult time. We'll talk with the head of operations of our digital works program about the simple things we can each do to ease the burden and tell you what Connected Nation is doing now to take job training virtual so those without work can train for new online positions.